Welcome to the Teamwork Advantage Podcast with Greg Gregory. Join us as Greg interviews powerful thought leaders and successful team and leadership experts from across the country on teamwork, leadership, and organizational culture. Now let's check in for this week's episode. Welcome back, everybody, to the Teamwork Advantage. I'm your host, Greg Gregory, CSP. And we're fortunate enough to have with us today a gentleman with an extensive background in one of the three major areas that we focus in on on the Teamwork Advantage. Of course, we focus in on teamwork, leadership, and today we're going to spend a lot of time focusing in on the culture side and how do we lead in crisis to build the culture and maintain the culture we're looking at. As a business builder and best-selling author, he's also an advisor to business leaders around the world. Chris has founded and partnered and invested in several companies in a wide range of industries, ranging from service and product to cloud-based solution providers. What sets Chris apart, and we were just talking about this, is how accessible his advice is, and we're going to talk about that today. He offers understandable, actionable, and time-tested truths for peak performance and about leadership and organizational culture. He's the author of Primes, How Any Group can solve any problem, which has quickly become a desk reference for peak performance leaders around the world. On a personal note, Chris is an avid adventurer, an outdoor enthusiast, traveler, along with his wife, Claire. They live in the Washington, D.C. area, and we found out that we live about eight miles apart from each other. He's also nearby his six adult children and extended family. Chris McGough, welcome to the Teamwork Advantage. Thank you, Greg. It's a privilege to be with you today, and it's an honor to speak into the listening of your audience. Well, thank you. Uh, well, let's go right back to the point. We were talking a little bit before about accessible advice, and I like your example on that because you've worked with some very high-range leaders over the years, and yet you say your advice is very simple. Explain what you mean by accessible. Thanks, Greg. By accessible, I mean that I don't change my PowerPoint charts when I'm working with the top leadership at the UN or the government or any of these big companies like Google and Apple. Uh, the PowerPoint charts that I use with them are the same PowerPoint charts that I use when I'm working with high school students. Um, my information has been called over many, many years and I have eliminated all of the noise or I worked hard to eliminate all of the noise so that just pure signal comes across so that when the audience hears and sees the distinctions of peak performance, they feel like they're meeting old friends. They feel like they really understand it. Not only do they understand it, but they feel like they can teach it immediately. That, that's really key. It needs to be something that can be living and breathing within us right through there. Yes. And culture is one of those buzzwords today. We're starting to hear more and more about it with people in the pandemic world living and uh, eating and working and teaching and learning everything from home. Um, it, it, the culture, it's very difficult today. So why, why is culture so important? It's the most highest valued off-balance sheet asset that any organization has. They Explain what you mean by off-balance asset. I like that terminology a lot. Right. Well, we take great care of our computer technology. We take great care of our furniture and fixtures. We take great care of our office. Uh, we attempt to take great care of our future by building strategies. Uh, as we work in business, we take care of things. 
because they're assets. And if we take care of those assets, those assets take care of us. Exactly. But there's one, to me, the highest value asset that is oftentimes not cared for as much. And that's organizational culture. And so, you know, I worked for many, many years driving strategy, driving change, driving transformation. I worked in high tech, but I really wasn't keen in understanding culture. And we still had an 86% failure rate when we attempted big organizational change. That statistic is true. It exists right now. As a leader goes to transform mm -hmm. an organization, they face an 86% chance of failure. And I was involved in that. And I made a lot of money involved in claiming that I could transform organizations. And I had about the same failure rate. And I wondered why, as I got older, after I'd been doing this for 30 years, I said to myself, what am I missing? And that's when I really honed in on culture. When you pay attention to the culture, look, everyone in your audience right now is, is existing inside an organizational culture. 100% of the time, 100% of the places, there is an organizational culture. Here's the question. What did you do about it today? How did you shape it? It's like putty. You can shape it. And if you were shaping it today, to what end? And when I ask executives this, now executives know that they have to focus on organizational culture. And I can tell you why they know that. Wells Fargo, Under Armour, Uber, companies are going to their knees. They're failing because of lack of attention to organizational culture. So all across America for sure and the world in general, executives, leaders, people in corporations, people in organizations are keen on, I need to focus on my culture. But when I ask them, well, how do you shape your culture and to what end? What is it that you're trying to build the culture towards? They don't know. And it's not their fault. It hasn't been distinguished yet. So I went out and said, all right, first of all, I'm going to go out and find out how do you shape culture. And then I'm going to find out to what end, what is a peak performance culture? What are the elements of it? And that's what we consolidated and brought to the marketplace. We've also brought it to our consulting firm. And as we as we work on culture now, our hit rate on success, on driving change, making acquisitions, right. go, went up phenomenally. When you're talking about research and in-depth of how to make it work, what were some of the things that you did to research the culture? We went back in time. I don't trust new things. I've been doing work in this area, as you have, mm -hmm. for a long time. And your heart's in the right place. My heart's in the right place. I've done Six Sigma, TQM, Excellence Plus, Spiral. Any anybody writes a book and we all run to it and build a methodology and we apply that methodology to the work we do. And I'll tell you, I've been very disappointed. They, 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 they come fast. We, 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 we rally around them, black belt, whatever it is. And then they fade away. And I didn't want to be part of that anymore. So what I wondered was, when cultures back 1,000, 2,000 years ago were at their peak level of performance, the expansion of the Roman Empire, the Greek Empire, uh, the Mayan Empire, I studied successful civilizations when they were at their peak. And I called out what were their beliefs? How, what behaviors were they tolerating? What behaviors were they not tolerating? Then I looked at today's rock solid companies, not the flash in the pan, overcapitalized West Coast companies. I'm talking about Black & Decker, Procter & Gamble, companies that have been producing over years. 
and I, and, I, and I looked at their behaviors they tolerate and the behaviors they won't and their values, compared it to the ancient writing. And whenever I could, and I, and I looked in scripture and I looked in uh, Aristotle, I looked in Socrates. I mean, I really wanted to find things that were time tested. And then when I compared all of that, it came out to three ways of being in seven disciplines. They all had a very similar uh, code of culture. And so I consolidated that and wrote it down because I believe a thousand years from now, the book, the writings that we did will be as useful as they are today and as they were 2000 years ago. So everything that I bring forward, there's nothing new in it, nothing, uh, no, nothing of it belongs to me. It's been time tested. I'm looking at what people can do because you, you made a key point earlier that you can have the culture even within your small organization, your small team, your department, however, what can somebody do that's listening to this now that's not the CEO or even a division manager or senior VP, maybe even not even a manager? What can people start doing today, even remotely, because we're all working, and so many of us are working remotely, what can we do today to start shaping our culture? What I dream for this question. Thank you for asking it. Greg, I appreciate it. What can a listener do, one of your listeners do, if they care about culture deeply, what can they do to shape the culture where they are in spite of COVID-19? There are a number of things, but I'm going to highlight two. The first thing they can do is choose to be a person of integrity. By that I mean, they individually, as a person on this webcast, they make a choice to honor their word as their life. When they say they're going to be somewhere at nine o'clock, they are there at nine o'clock. When they say they're going to have something done Wednesday yep. at two o'clock, it is done as expected. Yep. To honor your word as your life, I can find zero peak performance civilizations that didn't honor integrity. What I say is what I do. Mm -hmm. I was talking to the Romans. He, and we don't have a lot of his writings. So it's very important. Whatever he wrote was probably important. And he said, let your yay be yay and your nay be nay. And it's in all of the historical writing I could find. Right. It's a contagion. When one person chooses to live a life of integrity, it contagions through the organization. And, and, and in, this is the first point, integrity. Honor your word as your life. Listen to how we lie little on up, people. Just listen. Hey, Dad, can you come up here and help me with my homework? Be there in a second. That's not true. That is incorrect. That is false. We lie little on up. What happens is when a bunch of liars, which many of us are, come into an organization, there's no workability. You're not sure that anything anybody says is actually going to happen when they say it's going to happen. Now, I want each listener to picture themselves as surrounded by the people they work mostly with right now. So just imagine you're in the, in the center of a big circle and the people who work with you are standing all around you. Do you realize that they've already made a determination of how, of how you show up with respect to integrity? Can they trust you every time to do what you say? They've already made that determination because it's a matter of survival for them. But have you woke up this morning and said, 
I will, when I make a promise, I will keep it 100% of the time, no small, no big. Every time I give my word, it will be accurate. How's it work really? How many people on this uh, webcast have picked up the phone when, when we used to go to work, call up their significant other and said, I'll be home in 20 minutes. Well, if there's any, any road between you and, 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 and that person, you can't say that when you live a life of integrity because stuff happens. That's out right. of your control. All you How do you feel, say Ben? Is, How do you feel about saying something like, I'll be heading home as soon as I can, or I'll be home as quickly as possible? That's a little vague, not specific. So how do you feel about that? I think, it's, I think it's a person who really cares about their word, but there's a much higher level of performance that that conversation could entail. You could say something like this, and it's so liberating when you develop this habit. Hey, honey, I'm leaving the office now, and I'm going to drive straight home. It usually takes me 20 minutes, but all I can tell you right now is I'm leaving the office, and I'm driving home. You can live into that. You can live into that promise. Yep. Okay. Why, is this, why is this such a big deal? Because the way we determine whether, they, whether we can trust people with the big promises is how they do with the small promises. Yes. It's all connected. Now, reflect on the companies that you trust the most. Remember when Hewlett Packer, when you got the box, the printer, and you opened it, and 10 minutes later you were printing? They had integrity. They said, we will ship you up and you will be able to print. I remember the first day I opened a Hewlett printer box took it and I had to get something printed. My printer broke and I opened it up and the cable wasn't in it. And I, I was like, what? And it turned out they decided they weren't going to ship the cables anymore, but they didn't tell me. That's when I lost it with Hillard Packer. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's so true. And it goes back even like with Johnson and Johnson uh, with the Tylenol scare. Um, when they had that, they, they were told, they only need to take it off the shelves in the Chicagoland area. And they said, the CEO and the board, they said, no, we're going to take it off everywhere. They said, it's going to cost us millions. The law well, products cost- everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> but they pulled it all off and they regained market share because they built a level of trust and integrity with their people then. You are so right. That's yeah. it. And yeah. then you look at the other side of the coin, you got Enron who had all these beautiful things they believe in, but they didn't act on any of what they believed in or said they believed in. They had a so. stated culture, but they didn't have an in-use culture. Exactly. And, uh, and, and for, for those of you on the, on, the, on the broadcast now who want to have a real laugh, uh, go to the web and type Enron's Statement of Culture. And it's there. It's still there. And you can read it. It's a joke. They wrote this aspirational thing, but they lived this way. A peak performance system says what it's going to value, says what it's going, what it's got mm-hmm. to are, and then lives it. Right. It's like my definition of integrity is doing what you say you're going to do when you say you're going to do it, even if no one is watching. Just always. Yes, you got yes. it. You nailed it. Now, in all of my research, there is no peak performance culture without integrity. But the mistake people make is they think it's moral. They think, oh, being integrity is being good. No. A gun has integrity. If you load it, pull the trigger, and it shoots the bullet, the system works. It has workability. The parts do as they're supposed to do, and they interact as they're supposed to interact. It can be used for evil. It can be used for good. But it has integrity. Integrity is workability. The machine can be used for nasty. The machine can be used for good. They can, but the machine has integrity or it does not have integrity. Number one thing anyone can do right now is make a choice to honor their word as their life. Okay. 
looking at that and realizing the culture we're in, not so much from the uh, system, systematic culture, but now looking at it from working remotely. We've gone from, you know, 20, 30,000 square foot office space to where everybody's working in their homes in a 144 square foot cube. Okay. And working that way, now we've got leaders and how do we keep our culture and how do we lead in this pandemic to make sure that we're still able to do that? So any advice, what have you started seeing from your clients in that direction? Thank you so much for these questions. The culture can exist anytime, any place. So there's no reason to use remote work as an excuse, and I'm not saying anyone is, as an excuse for not having a peak performance culture. A peak performance culture can be felt remotely. A peak performance culture can be shaped remotely. Let me give you a, a practical thing that your listeners can do, starting with their next Zoom call. The one thing that we know about peak performance cultures are they are intentional. They have integrity and they are intentional. When you ask the people, what are you up to? What are you doing? They basically answer you and the people answer the same way. They have shared intentionality. So one thing that you can do on a a Zoom call or working remote is whenever you're gathered on the computer, simply ask the killer question. What are the outcomes of this time we're spending together? Not the purpose Mm -hmm. and not the outputs. What are the outcomes? What are we standing to achieve on this call? Now, it's the most important question you can ask. Now, sometimes that call may just simply be a happy hour social call at the end of a day, and the outcome is to just get to laugh a little bit. And that's okay. That's fine. As long as everybody understands what the outcome is supposed to be. What the outcome, what the outcome that we are committed to working towards is. Mm-hmm. I can't tell you how many times. I'm going to ground your, your people in, in, a, in, a, in a, that is, I wrote a paper. I, this is the most undervalued question that people just don't ask. I am a paid consultant, paid by the hour. And I can't tell you how many times I would sit in a meeting quietly while everybody's talking and all of this going on. And we'd be 15, 20, 30 minutes into a meeting. And then somebody would finally realize, hey, we're paying this guy and he's not talking. I'm not going to fight for the floor. It's your, your, I'm a consultant. You have to ask me if you want. I'm not, not going to wedge in. That's impolite. Mm-hmm. People would go, well, Chris, what do you think? And I'd say, I am fascinated by this conversation. I think this conversation is incredibly interesting. What I don't know is if it's useful to our intention of this meeting. What are we trying to, what are the outcomes of this meeting? And everybody would look at each other and go, well, let's talk about that. I said, there's no way for me to tell you uh, what I think about what you're talking about or even contribute unless I know what the outcomes are. Because if we're having an interesting conversation that is not leading us towards the outcomes, it's, it's, it's non-value added activity. Mm-hmm. It might be interesting, but it's not valuable. Right. So you're just asking the question, what are the outcomes, the intended outcomes of our time together? Mm-hmm. That's in essence what a great salesperson does at the end of every sales call is what's our next step? That's our outcome. Where are we going from here? That's it. You know, and, and that's so powerful. So, so there's just a couple of things people can do. Live your word, honor your word as your life, and mm-hmm. constantly make the group come to agreement on what are the outcomes of our time together. 
Okay. And that's so important. And that's just not remotely. That, that's any staff meeting is the same way. Anytime people gather. Mm-hmm. We talked about integrity and how it leads to culture. We're talking about um, making sure that we've got our outcomes and focusing on that direction. What can leaders do? Okay. Um, I was on a conference call yesterday with some folks uh, and different people were just getting stressed out. They're, they're stressed out over this pandemic. They were doing things, working at their kitchen table. Their spouse is sitting there with them trying to do something else. And it's just, what can a leader do in this crisis time? A leader can understand that they're going through three phases. They're taking their business through three phases, the survival stage, the managing phase, and the emerging phase of a crisis. Okay. And they have to behave differently in each phase. When COVID hit March 14th as a realization here in the United States, we were in a crisis phase. Yes. Adrenaline came from, uh, the energy came from adrenaline. It's very much like an emergency room. Let's not die. And the leader shifts into command and control. No collaboration, all command and control. As the leader takes their business, the crisis is still happening, but they, and the data, it, no information, all the information is very, very vague. New words, it's very vague. Then as the, le- as the leader moves their business into the managing in a crisis, okay, we've cut to affordability. We are now managing our business within the con- where all the restaurants are right now that are still open. They're managing in a crisis. They're not surviving now. They're managing in a crisis. Right. Takeouts and all these other things. What they can do there is start planning and get very opportunistic. Are there any weak competitors around that we can buy? Are there anything going on? So you're managing in a crisis right now. And instead of being all command and control, you are starting to include some brainstorming and some dialogue with your people. And then when you finish the managing phase, you go to the emerging phase. Your information's clear, your intentionality's clear, and you move more into a collaborative leadership style. So what can leaders do? Find yourself on that map. There's a great video on this online. I, I was doing this for a big organization and they allowed it to go online. But you, the leader has to know where they are on the evolution of a crisis. Now, some of my clients, believe it or not, are still in the survival stage. A lot of the heavy commercial real estate people are really wondering, are we ever going to use that much real estate anymore? Uh, others of my clients are clearly in the managing phase. But I have to tell you, an increasing number of my clients are in the emerging phase. Yes. And it's exciting because it's like a slingshot. When we come out of this thing, <laughs> oh my gosh, it's going to be fabulous. It's going to be on steroids, there's no doubt. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And it's, it's interesting because there are different industries because of it. Some cases, it's because the organization is just... Um, and we use an expression I heard on television a few weeks ago. They dance like their feet stuck in concrete. And that's what they're trying to do right now is they can't get out of their concrete, can't get out of the way to find something new. Yeah. And yet the energetic uh, companies are finding ways to do something differently. And oh, yeah. I'm fascinated by that all the way across the board. Oh, yeah. And there's so many companies making bank right now. Uh, I, I, I know, I know a, a cold chain logistics. They make insulation for, for cardboard boxes but they're anti-styrofoam, so they use a corn-based product. That company went from a startup to a $200 million market cap in like two years now, three years now, because everybody's getting stuff at home, and they were in the right place at the right time. And, you know, they went aggressive, and they doubled down on their production. They built another facility in Las Vegas. They have one in Richmond. I mean, these these young people, and it's a – 
the entire leadership team of the company, no one's over 30. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. There's so many exciting things happening right now. It's, it's, just, it's just so much fun. It's, it's almost like the uh, early days of uh, the uh, dot-com era, you know? Uh, and then, unfortunately, the dot-com era just took this crash because it grew so hard so fast. Hopefully, this is giving us some sustainability as we go through it. Yeah, yeah. Oh. Hey, can I make one observation on what you just said? You're, you're hitting all the key points, I got to tell you. Um, I have a little, little belief and that it's technology is agnostic. It just makes whatever's happening happen more yes. and faster. That's all it does. So if you, like technology makes bad process worse faster. Technology is agnostic. Yes. Here's my concern about culture. We are in a crisis of culture in the United States, an absolute crisis of culture. And you take technology, which is an accelerator, and you put it into a toxic culture, and it will make that culture more toxic faster. Just watch The Social Dilemma, that mm -hmm. documentary that's on television. Yeah. So we put gasoline on a very bad fire. That's what social technology is right now. And it is accelerating wrong behaviors. Mm -hmm. If we it put it in the right way, it will accelerate right, the right behavior. Right things seem wrong. Mm -hmm. So we have to really work on, a, I am excited and I'm seeing it starting to happen right now. But you know, we've gone on quite a while with this word culture. And what I know is that most people don't have a working definition of culture. They don't True. know what it is. Okay. So how I would do you, like How to, do you define, uh, what is your working definition? Yeah, I would like to leave people with this if, if this is useful to, I hope this is extremely useful to your audience. Okay. Well, take I know piece, it's useful to me. I'll definitely tell you that. Take a piece of paper. First of all, there's tens of thousands of books on culture right now. Yeah. And I've read several of them, not many, but a few. And there's just snake oil in them. This is what culture is. Take a piece of paper, audience. Draw a line across it horizontally. Above that line, write the behaviors you will tolerate and advocate for. Below that line, you write the behaviors you will not tolerate. That line is culture. That's the culture line. It mm -hmm. is invisible, it is lethal, and it is drawn by every group. Every group. Now, most people put all the good stuff on top and bad stuff on the bottom. That's a rookie error. If you were in a meeting recently, a Zoom meeting or any other kind of meeting, and someone came late to that meeting, and you tolerated that tardiness, then lateness is tolerated and advocated for in your culture, because it was. Mm -hmm. Try try to light a cigarette in a movie theater. Oh yeah, because when I was growing up, you could. Yes, but that will not be tolerated right now. Not right. only is it a law, but it's also a cultural element. Yes, and so so I want to make sure I'm clear on your understanding here. We should take that paper, draw the line, draw the write line. what we are currently tolerating. Yes. And what we are currently not tolerating. And then what we want to do is do a future version of the same thing. Is that what I'm hearing? Well, yeah, but the future would be in the next moment. In other words, you can't be aspirational about culture. You can't right. write this culture vision because that's really not good. What you can do is look at that paper and maybe even with some of your coworkers and say, do we want to make any changes to this? 
But remember, if we take tardiness, snarkiness, cursing, if we move it from we tolerate it right now because it's happening to we don't, that means that each person, all of us individually, have to become intolerant of it and willing to extinguish it when we see the behavior happening. That means the most junior yes. person in the company can extinguish that behavior from the most senior person in the company because culture is enforced asymmetrically. Anyone can drive the corporate culture. And I can give you so many cool examples of this. But the main mm -hmm. thing I want you to know is each one of you who are listening to this are causing, you are the cause of your organizational culture. You are the complete cause of it. Mm -hmm. It is not hierarchical. General Stanley McChrystal talks about that a little bit in his book called The Book of Teams, or Team of Teams, I'm sorry, and how the whole thing has changed. And today they're allowing the junior people to actually call in certain things and be able to do certain things and act on certain things because of that culture. They've, they've changed that culture. And that's, that's so powerful. Very powerful. I, I, like I said, it's the highest value off-balance sheet asset in an organization, mm -hmm. and it's one that is least taken care of. Yeah. It's so funny because uh, when you were going down the off-balance uh, assets, there's an old uh, example that people talk about is people are our greatest asset, okay, in an organization. Yet, where do salaries fall on a balance sheet? Right. On the liability side. On the liability side. Exactly. So, there, there's a... There's a mind shift that we've got to get to the point of understanding how important the human asset is and now the off-balance sheet that's never going to show up in the culture, which, of course, that, that comes from teamwork. So let me ask this when we're looking at that. Let's say we get this culture going. Let's say we've got 10 people on our team and we're doing really, really well. We've got our strength. We've got our uh, above there what we will tolerate and what we won't tolerate. And then one or two people leave. Maybe they retire. Maybe they just move on, whatever. And we bring somebody else new in. How do we acclimate new people to our culture? Because we can't necessarily go out there and hire specifically towards that. So how do we, how do, we do it? Zappos does. You can hire. Once you understand the culture you're standing for, you, yeah. can, screen, you can screen for it. Yes. You can absolutely screen for it. And companies are screening for culture. So, yes. But I think the, yeah, so you can screen for culture. You know, here's the biggest challenge you're going to face as a business leader. This is the number one challenge you're going to, once you really get how important culture is and how easy it is to shape and the results you get from it, once you get all that, um, this is what you're going to face. Let me, yeah. let, me, let me leave you with a crystal ball of yep. your future. Here it is. Do a, do a two by two. And on the y-axis is uh, performance. And on the x-axis is alignment to culture. So, you know, the y-axis is getting the job done. And at the bottom, they can't get the job done. At the top, they get the job done. They close the deals. They do the stuff. Now, on the x-axis, uh, you know, they're really not nice people. They, they're just mean. They're way against our culture. Or way over here, they're really aligned to our culture. So it's a two-by-two. Two. Yep. Okay. The bottom square is easy. They don't do their job very well. They don't produce very well. And they're rotten people. They're very unaligned to our culture. You fire them. And then the diagonal to that is they do an awesome job at their uh, production. And they're really aligned with our culture. You take the win-win. That's a win-win. Okay. Now, 
the bottom one where they where they have they're really great aligned to the culture but they don't perform very well you invest in them for a period of time if they respond you keep them if they don't you 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 have a good leaving for them here's where you're tested the rainmaker who's an sob the rainmaking sob and you say to yourself well that's just tony but he makes so much money or he's such a good, but yeah, he's an SOB, but you know, he's a rainmaker. Yeah. That's I, the ultimate choice. And there's only one right answer. And I made that mistake twice in my career where I tolerated these people and their behavior. Yeah. They will take you down. Yeah. We're going to finish on that note because it's a powerful note. I've had several organizations say they've had people come to this and use foul language and everything else, all because they are tolerating it. And that's a great example to bring it to the forefront of our minds. Chris, it's been a pleasure to have you on board with us here with the Teamwork Advantage. Uh, Hopefully we'll get to see each other. We've never met before, and we only live eight miles apart. So hopefully we'll have a chance to get to see each other uh, when COVID all breaks. We can go out and uh, grab a little bite to eat one day. I would like that, Greg. I appreciate it. For everybody else, next week we'll be back again with somebody else talking about teamwork, leadership, and culture on the Teamwork Advantage. Remember, good days are for average people. You're not average. So go make today a dynamic day. Take care. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye. This has been the Teamwork Advantage with Greg Gregory. To learn more about how Greg can help your organization develop a powerful winning culture, visit teamsrock.com. That's T-E-A-M-S-R-O-C-K.com. Be sure to join Greg next week when he interviews another exciting and powerful thought leader on the Teamwork Advantage. Until then, as Greg says, make sure you have a great week because a good week is just being average.